Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And going to do another Q&A show today. Uh, so, let's just jump right into it. I uh, got some good feedback actually on the last one. Uh, so I really appreciate that, anybody that reached out uh, and or anybody that just started uh, submitting some questions. Uh, I'll begin to those. Uh, I did, uh, I'm just kind of going in order of how that ha- I had them. Uh, if something comes up that is really burning, uh, somebody says, I might jump into it earlier. But other than that, we're just going to kind of run with it here. Uh, so the first one, uh, if you build muscle with a certain type of training volume, do you, need, do you need to keep that volume of training to maintain that muscle? Well, <laughs> no. So really good question here. A uh, lot more to it than just a straightforward answer. Um, because I would look at, okay, well, what type of muscle did you build, right? So fast twitch, slow twitch, combined, right? I mean, these are your basics, if you will. Uh, you just have different, different movements, different volumes are going to change these up as well. Uh, so that's where you have this to factor all of that in. So if you are a bodybuilder and all you're doing is just like crazy high reps for things, uh, you're going to build really a different type of volume. Uh, I'm, sc- I'm sorry, excuse me, like a different type of muscle than you will an Olympic weightlifter, right? You just look at those types of people and you see the differences. Like you can tell just by looking at an Olympic weightlifter, at a powerlifter. Like, do they look the same as your typical bodybuilder? No, I don't think so. Uh, now, this has been awesome because I've been dig- digging into a bit of Eugene Sandow. Uh, I think the dude is unbelievable, right? But uh, Paul Check's been talking about him. Uh, I'm trying to think, somebody else that I was listening to was talking about him. Uh, even just while I was watching some uh, documentaries on Rogue's YouTube channel. Uh, and they have one uh, geared towards him. And you look at it and it's like, this is crazy because what, what I think is wild about this, who used to be bodybuilders when bodybuilding came on the scene? Weightlifters and strongmen, right? And if you look at it, like, weightlifters, like, they don't have maybe some of the quite the um, classic lines. That's where I'm going to go with here. You don't have those classic lines of a bodybuilder. Maybe a different type of, not, not quite fullness. The bodybuilder, I feel like, has more of that density, right? Like, you just look at them. I'm sorry, the, the weightlifter or the strongman has that density. Like, they just look like a fucking, like, rock, right? Uh, versus the bodybuilder looks pumped up, almost inflated. So, I just don't like that as much, right? I don't think, I don't know. I think it's just a personal view on aesthetics. So, I, I think the... the the, the, the weightlifters, powerlifters, the strongmen, I just think they look better. I, I like that uh, style on them very much more so. Uh, so I guess you kind of see that. That's how I train. That's what I do. Uh, I like how that shapes my body, if you will. Uh, but I also like what it does for me uh, from purely uh, the, the strength standpoint. So, yeah. I Now, okay, getting back a little bit more to the question, right? Well, I, I, I think you do, you have to keep certain requisite volumes. 
right? Now, does it have to be the same amount of training volume? Well, training volume is a very weird thing because are we talking purely poundages? So do you have to keep up the same pounds? If you train, and this is something I've started tracking uh, to help my coach quite a bit, is what is the volume of a workout? And I'm talking down to like, is it 20,000? Is it 21,000? Is it 40,000 pounds of training volume? And what does that look like from one week to the next in the, the same workout? Uh, but then also, how does that translate from, uh, I usually do about three week training blocks. So one training block to the next and escalating that volume. But within that escalating volume now, well, we still have, there are differences in the type of training that I'm doing. So what am I saying? So uh, perfect example. I did um, twats today. I did six sets of four reps, uh, 3-0, X-0 tempo. The past three weeks before this, I had done a three drop sets of 12-10-8 at a 3-0, X-0 tempo. The weights were nowhere near, like not even within 100 pounds of each other that I was using. One time though, I did 24 reps. Uh, I did two to four reps, so I did uh, 20 reps actually, no, 21 reps, excuse me, versus I did 120 reps. Like, there's a huge difference there, and I felt very different doing that. So all of these things really factor. So I, what I'm getting to is, yeah, I think you still need to keep up the same amount of volume, right? And that volume really will have to be ever escalating. Now, the, the important part is to know where that volume is coming from. Are you adding sets? Are you adding reps? Are you adding weight? Are you decreasing one but adding to another? Uh, and, and really just looking at your total poundages. But now, not just factoring in your total poundages, because once you bring that into play, now you have to look at, okay, I have my total poundage, uh, but how long did it take me to finish that workout? Did it take 50 minutes? Did it take 60 minutes? Did it take 70 minutes? Uh, so knowing and tracking all of these things, all of your rest periods, uh, I think all your tempos, <laughs> the, the same amount of volume, uh, if you did it at a 2010 versus a 8010 tempo, well, that's all very different. Uh, one uh, set there, you're under the bar for about three to four seconds per rep, the other one you're in for nine to 10 seconds per rep. Uh, and if you do the same number uh, of, uh, of sets, or maybe you should do the same number, amount of time under clean. Again, too much to say. So, what does that all come down to? Yeah, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep up in the volume, you gotta keep up in the reps, up in the sets, up in the weight. All comes into play. If, if you're not tracking every detail of your workout, uh, it does not matter. So, take into account how many total sets you're doing, total reps, rep ranges, rest periods, tempos, how you feel before, after, in between, all of the above. Uh, wish I had more of a straightforward answer for you. Uh, that's just not what I do, if you haven't realized it so far. Um, but this one being said, hey, what do you have to do? You have to track it all, and you really, really, really need to uh, geek out on each of those variables. Because yeah, I still think that the simple answer is yeah, you have to start increasing the volume, but where does that volume come from? And one volume at a certain rep range is going to be different than the volume at a different rep range. 
So keep all that in mind, please. So, uh, really, really good question next here too. What are your go-to techniques to elicit long-term behavior change? Uh, I'm gonna say like in myself and in clients because this comes back to uh, what I've learned from, again, probably my biggest mentor, Paul Check. What is your dream? What is your nightmare? Nothing else matters. Really, it doesn't. If you cannot tell me what your dream is or what your nightmare is, it's hard to make long-term change. It's easy to make short-term change for other things, I think. So that's why I enjoy uh, always staying, uh, uh, always having a competition to look forward to because I think that keeps me uh, in the short-term focused on things. Uh, for my health, my fitness, that type of thing. Um, I think meeting with one of my really good friends, Travis Robbins, we go for uh, a hike slash walk, whatever you want to call it, uh, as many Saturday or Sunday mornings, I mean, before the rest of our families get up as we can. And sometimes it's just discussing uh, the week. Sometimes it's discussing the meaning of life. Uh, sometimes it's discussing work. Families, whatever it is, uh, but that that just really keeps you on point. I think with um, just my mental health, right? So finding what is it for that? What is what, what do you want to achieve for? What keeps you motivated for your physical health? Uh, all of that is is critical. And now, what does it come down to again? It's maybe it's setting goals or. Maybe it's finding that one big overarching dream for your life or that one nightmare because you find something that scares the shit out of you. That's a pretty damn good motivator, right? So find that thing. Like, what are you scared of failing at? What are you scared of happening? So I think this is like a health scare. would be fantastic, right? Right? Something lands you in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, that, I hope that really changes you, right? Because if, you, if it doesn't, it's going to be hard to motivate. Maybe it's want to see your kids, your grandkids, anything for them. Um, but it's, it's trying to find that something bigger than yourself. I know that's such an easy thing to say, but I, I, I don't, I can't find something better. I can't find something better than trying to leave this world a better place for my kids. I, I, I want to set the best example that I can for them. Uh, in every area of life, which is why I think I study all areas of life. Uh, as far as just purely health, I want to set examples. I mean, I drop Cooper off like at nursery school a couple mornings a week, uh, and my gym that I go to a couple times a uh, week is right around the corner from there, right? He always just loves peeking in there. Like he'll say, well, we'll go park at the gym, and then we'll walk a few blocks to school because he wants to get out. He's still, he knows how much I enjoy nature going for walks, so we do that together. So, setting those good examples, but if, if not, find that thing that scares the hell out of you and use that. Use a heart attack. Use cancer. Use, use watching your parents deteriorate. I, I hate to say something like that, right, but that can be an amazing motivator to help with long-term change in your health. So you make the most of somebody else's mistakes. Like don't don't let it happen twice. That's that's why we study history, right? Because history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes. So hey, if you see it coming, you can make the changes now.
All right, so I hope that goes into that a little bit. There's, I think that's one I should probably just do an entire podcast too because there's so much more to it. I just want to give you a quick synopsis so that you can start looking into making, taking an action item for it. Uh, next question. Thoughts on, excuse me, okay, I just want to make sure. Thoughts on the overhead squat. Do you prescribe it to clients, patients? Uh, does it have carryover for a traditional back squat or front squat? Uh, in, in short, does it have carryover? Uh, yes, here's how it has carryover. Upper back strength. It doesn't have carryover, I really don't think, much for um, the, the legs per se. Uh, but I should say overall trunk strength. So just that lower abdominal, um, low back upper back, shoulder girdle stability, that's where it has carryover uh, more for the uh, the front squat. For the back squat, I outside of just trying to keep up tall chest, uh, like staying up high with it, I don't think it has much carryover for that. Uh, now that being said, do I use it a lot? Uh, almost never. Uh, purely based on my clientele. Uh, not that I wouldn't. Um, I don't think there are a lot of people that it's all that appropriate for. I, th- I think it's going to be uh, a selective, selective group. Uh, that being said, I think it's a fantastic movement to strive for, to to really get to be able to do. Because when doing an overhead squat, I mean, think about it. You are in the ultimate position for the squat. You have to get down. You have to have that requisite foot motion, ankle mobility. Uh, you have to have stability in the knees, in the hips. Now, you have to, again, here comes the pelvis. You gotta be keeping perfect pelvic alignment. Uh, now, the thoracic spine, you have to extend your thoracic spine. Here's where I think most people get into trouble with the overhead squat. They beat the shit out of their shoulders with it uh, because they just don't have scapular upward mobility thoracic extension. Uh, they have maybe thoracic neutral at best. And there's a lot of problems coming from that. Yeah, so short and sweet, I don't necessarily do it. Uh, if I do, it would be very much so unweighted uh, for just about anybody and probably would not be for uh, strengthening so much of your legs. It would be more to or really teach an upright squat posture. Uh, if, if I had any any clients, uh, any uh, anybody, any patients that I was working with that were in either Olympic lifting, CrossFit, uh, those would be really the only major applications for it um, that I can see. Even most professions, I, I can't think of a whole lot where you have to hit rock bottom squat with your arms up overhead. Um, lots of things like where I think doing so in a, a lounge or a, like a single arm overhead, but not so much the full rock bottom squat. Uh, going up a mighty steep hill, so apologize uh, if I'm panting a little bit on this one, <laughs> but I wanted to get out, enjoy the absolute gorgeous day that we're living in uh, right now. So next question, can you please go over the pros and cons of full body workout programming versus body part splits. Oh, I was salivating when I uh, saw, I heard this one somewhere else actually, 
and I just could not resist because the oh, trying to channel again my inner Paul check right now I'm drawing a complete blank on the book that this was in uh, I'm gonna hold on one second here all right let's jump back in there sorry I'm walking around on a college campus and they were uh, cutting some grass so I wanted to get past that before we resume here however getting back to this uh, wonderful question I cannot remember his book from late 1800s, early 1900s. Bertrand Russell, but I'm not positive. Look, the body doesn't know movements. The body only knows what nerves are going to fire, right? So a nerve fires like a muscle doesn't. Muscle doesn't do anything on its own. It needs the nerve to tell what to do. So when it has an impulse, it doesn't. Now, full body split, uh, partial uh, split, full body workout, excuse me, versus body part splits. I still do body part splits, but not in your traditional uh, way that you think about it. We do it into more movement-based ways, right? So, if I want to do a squat, I'm going to do squats. Uh, let's do that with lunges. Those are similar. Maybe a bend pattern in there. And maybe a twist pattern. Integrate all of those things. Now I'm going pressing. Doing a lot of pull as well. Very nice complementary movements. Don't do a chest workout. I don't do a shoulder workout. I don't do a leg workout. I, I just don't like to classify it in those movements. Right? So it's finding understanding the body level. Now, again, you do a full body versus a split. Well, I do prefer uh, the split, but that's just because that's the way that I train. Uh, to me, it's very difficult to do uh, full body training and be able to recover because I would rather work on basically a different part of the nervous system. And sometimes, again, you're going to have such muscle fatigue, muscle soreness that can make it difficult to come back to similar muscle group uh, and it, from that a similar uh, pattern of nerve firing right so that's that's the simplest way I think to think about that so that being said now would I be am I opposed to doing a push doing a pull doing maybe some type of weight carry doing a hinge doing a squat doing a twist doing a, a lunge all of those like in a circuit workout no, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's fantastic. So it's just that you have to understand, these are all different. Uh, I don't think that incorporating all movement patterns in every workout, if you're looking to be uh, really strength-based, I don't, I don't think that's the way to go. Even really hypertrophy-based, I think it's best to split those up and allow for a more adequate recovery. If you just want to go three days a week and do three full-body workouts, so don't see that as a problem, right? Provided you're not giving too much volume, too much intensity, uh, too short of rest to, to any of those patterns, right? So it's just, you, you have to go into so many more variables uh, for something like this. That being said, I think, yeah, both are very good. Doing a full body split, uh, I'm sorry, like a, a full body workout and also doing body part splits, although, like I said, I don't 
like the body part splits as much as I like the uh, movement place splits uh, and neurologic system training uh, in a similar manner. So, hey, that's it for today. Uh, there's a couple questions for you. Right around that 20 minute mark, I think this works well uh, in this format to get a couple in, not give too much overload. But again, thank you for any of the feedback uh, that you guys gave me. Uh, thank you for those of you that uh, submitted some questions. These are going to be, this is so much fun for me. Uh, I really do mean that and I appreciate uh, your your support, your listenership because this is fun. I, I love going for a walk, um, talking about these uh, and just kind of geeking out on it. Uh, and hey, if anybody ever wants to, to talk about it, go on a walk with me, uh, ask some questions and figure it out. Uh, I'm more than welcome to do that. So thank you guys again for listening and have a great day. Talk to you next week.